in Christian circles, there is a lot of differing opinion, a lot of different expectations in the mind of people when it comes to the events that the Bible describes, talks about as at the end times. Sometimes we use the word the tribulation period because the Bible clearly does in Old Testament books and in New Testament books. It even gives us the length of that time. It tells us it's seven years. Sometimes the Bible even gives it to us in months. Sometimes it describes it in days, in Daniel and Revelation. And sometimes, many times, most times, in years. It's very clear that there is going to be a seven-year period where some things happen on the earth that most people aren't all that crazy about reading about for different reasons, but aside from that, there's some confusion. There is a, a lot of disagreement about the events, the timing, the chronology of what will happen first, what will happen in the middle, what will happen at the end. And there is decent reason. It's easy to see why that is. The, 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 the Bible in a lot of different places mentions these things, but we're going to go through what Jesus had to say about these things, what Paul had to say, but then when we're all done discussing different topics in this seven-year period, I want to go to one place in the Bible where it very clearly seems to me to lay out the order the events in just about four verses in Isaiah. It's fantastic. You're in Matthew 24. Let's start reading at verse 37. Follow along. But as the days of Noah were, Matthew 24, 37. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now there's the first hang-up. That verse uses the phrase, the coming of the Son of Man. And there are two events that get either confused, get mixed, or sometimes people don't even realize that there's a distinction between these two things. And I want to start with this idea. There is a time when Jesus is going to come again. But what do we mean by that? The Bible clearly shows that there is going to be a time where some people who are ready waiting, looking for him, they are going to be taken from this earth to go meet him. And some people think of that as the phrase, the coming of the Lord. But see, there's also something else the Bible teaches, that he is going to physically come all the way down here, not just meet us in the air, but that he is going to come here, feet are going to be on this earth again, just like he did the first time, but... He has a different objective this time. He's not coming to be a sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin. That time when he comes, all the way to the earth, he's not leaving. He's going to set up his reign. He is first going to rid the earth of sin. There's some cleansing. And that is a period that has a lot of things written about in the book of Revelation and what Jesus mentions here. But we want to understand there are two different ideas. Whenever you read the coming of the Son of Man, we need to understand which one is being talked about. There's a time when the people of God, those who are looking for it, are going to, they're going to meet Him in the clouds. And there's a second event. And that is when Jesus comes all the way to the earth sometime after, and He cleanses the earth. The Revelation describes the sword coming out of his mouth. He's riding a white horse, a war horse, and he's going after sinners. He's cleansing the earth. We sometimes have difficulty, a lot of people in churches have difficulty even hearing that because they've only heard God loves people. Well, that's true. He does love people. But you see, he went a great distance to try to win everybody to him. He took his only son and tortured him, crucified him to pay the penalty that you and I couldn't pay. And if any people of the earth look at that sacrifice and reject it, then you can start to understand why wrath gets poured out. It's not God's, let me put it this way, 
God is filled with love, and His love did something for us. He gave His Son to be a sacrifice for us. And if the people of the earth reject that, then there is something called the wrath of God, His indignation. Sometimes it's called His fierce anger. And we're going to look at three or four very specific verses that tell us something about God's anger. He never designed for His kids, for His people. I got that sidetracked on one verse. Here we go, 37 again. But as the days of Noah were, so shall it also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, the, when Noah's day, you remember how the Bible describes it, the vast population of the earth was unprepared. It was not even on their radar. It was not in their mindset. They were not thinking about the thought that something bad, terrible was about to happen. One man and his family did have this mindset. They were building an ark. Building an ark, preparing food for the animals. God miraculously brings them. But what happens that week? When Noah goes into the ark, God closes that mammoth door. He shuts him in there, and God sealed it. God put Noah somewhere safe. You realize Noah couldn't even probably get out of that? The Bible tells us God closed that door. He, and I'm painting a picture purposely for you, that before the flood came, and people, that was terrible. That was the wrath of God. Before that came, what did God do with the people who knew him intimately? He set them somewhere very safe, a place that was prepared. As the days of Noah were, it's going to be very similar to that when Jesus comes back to this earth. Next verse, verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Now people, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. You and I do it every day. But it says, if only thing that you're thinking about is what the party's going to be like, what's going to be served tomorrow, those Earthly thoughts do not lead necessarily to godliness. And Jesus describes the days of Noah. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. What do you think happened? What was in the minds of the people when they saw Noah finally walk up that gangplank, go into that enormous structure, and the door closed behind him? Some of them may not have thought anything. I have to imagine there were at least some that were kind of curious. Over dinner that, that night, the topic of conversation, that moron down the street that's been building a boat, he's inside now, and the door closed. And it doesn't look like he can even get it open. That week it started to rain. And what Noah had been telling them for an entire generation came to pass in a week probably more closely a couple days. Now you have something very similar. There are people like pastors' churches who preach this, that Jesus is coming. And to a lot of people, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like I don't even, even if they're Christian people, even if they go to church every day, they don't even want to be associated with the, the thought of people like maybe you and I that want to talk about what the Bible says about Jesus coming again. It makes them uncomfortable, makes them nervous. That's strange. People, why is it strange? He's already been here once. He was here for 30-some years, probably. He was seen by a great portion of the population. We have so much record of the people that saw him. They recorded his deeds. He made such an impact on the earth that today we still mark time by 2017 years after his death. A.D., that's the kind of impact he made. Well, that person that was here that did all of those things that everybody saw, he be coming again. And the Bible says, until the flood came and took them all away, they didn't know what was coming, or at least they didn't want to think about it. Noah and his family had a certain mindset, and they were ready. They were ready before it ever came, and they walked in. Those people that 
fit that description, they're always taken care of by God. That, that's, that's important. It helps clear a lot of confusion about what we're going to discuss. Look at verse 40. After describing Noah and the flood that came quickly, Jesus says this in verse 40, Then shall two be in the field. The one, everyone say one. One shall be taken and the other left. There's one thing we should point out for sure about that verse. Can you not agree with me that there is a distinction between people? You see, there is an enormous false teaching. Maybe it's not even a teaching, but it is definitely an impression that gets implied upon the people in many churches. And that is what? We're all God's children. You, your neighbor, the guy down the street, the mayor... School to, it, we're all the same. Nothing could be further from the truth. I know what they're, why they say that. It makes us all feel good. It helps us to love everybody because, hey, we're all the same. But what that does, it puts in the mind of people that hear it that God makes no distinction between the people on the earth. And nothing could be more false. This verse says there's two people in the field. One of them is taken. Something different happens to the other one. It's left behind. You may say, well, it doesn't exactly tell me what the difference was between those people. Well, we're working on that. But I want every verse that we go through, I want you to see that. He already talked about Noah. There was a difference between Noah and his family and between the people who were partying, marrying, giving and marrying. There's nothing wrong with getting married. Eating and drinking. He's describing just people that, just like the the the, the physical things that feel good to our flesh. There's a difference. Verse 41, Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Again, there's a difference. Jesus is telling a story. He is painting a picture in the minds of the listener. One of them gets taken and the other one is Left. So we have something else introduced here by the words of Jesus. He is introducing this idea that there's going to be some people that vanish from this earth. And that's what we call the rapture. I don't want to get sidetracked too much, but it's obviously pointed out here by Jesus, his story. Look at verse 42. He says, Watch therefore. Now, when you see the word therefore, you go back and see what it's there for. He said, because of what I've just told you, what should you do? Watch. He described a situation where two people are maybe walking down a street. One is taken, but one is left. He describes two of them working in the mill. One's taken and one's left. And because one is taken and one's left, because there's a separation, what should people do? They should watch. They should have a mindset of Jesus could come at any moment. Verse 42, Watch therefore, and this is why, because you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now, we should just step aside and take 60 seconds to talk about that idea. The idea that we don't know. Why is that important? What, what would happen if me and Kevin knew exactly when Jesus was coming? We could drive 90 up and down the highway. We could do anything we wanted to, and we would have it timed out. We'll repent. We'll get right with God. The day before he gets back, we'll get in Noah's Ark. And that, that idea would lead to so much sin in the earth. But what if you don't know when he's coming? And clearly, Jesus teaches this. He specifically says, you will not know what day. Now, he gives a lot of signs. He gives a lot of events so that he wants his people to be looking and telling other people, pointing. Do you see what that stuff is taking place? It's coming. It's getting closer. But the reason we don't know for certain when Jesus is going to appear in the clouds and we, the people who are watching, when we meet him in the air to go live with him forever, the reason you don't know exactly when that is going to happen Principle in the Bible, God wants his people living holy. He wants them watching. What's that word watching mean? 
he goes on here to say, look at verse 43. Know this, that if the good man of the house, that's the butler, had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Verse 43 says what we described. If you knew what day, what hour he was coming, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have allowed your house to be broken into. Now, it's very important. Christians seem to have great memories when you read the Bible. We've read about four different ideas, phrases that we're going to go in toward the very end of the Bible, toward the beginning of the Bible, and the same pictures. Same phrases are used by God, thousands of years apart. Right here, remember, he described a thief coming in the middle of the night. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. First, you know, there, yeah, there's things there, but we've we got to go here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus described a scenario. He gave several pictures where one, two people would be together. He'd be doing various things here on earth that you and I do every day, but one of them would be taken, the other left, a separation. Separation. God does see people according to how they view His Son. And if we're not on the right side of that, it's not good. The, the, the way more people, a lot more people that sit in churches every week that need to be told this. Here we go, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. So he wants us to know something. Concerning them which are asleep. Now that's a biblical phrase, being asleep, that the Bible describes people who have passed away. They Asleep means, and is a New Testament way to say they have died. Concerning them which are asleep, which have passed away, that you sorrow not, even as others, which have no hope. God doesn't want us to think about people that have passed on and to be here full of sorrow. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. There's a, there's a special place for them. And he even says, even as others which have no hope. So there are some people that think about possibly a loved one, a friend, and if they didn't know the Lord, it's, it's not so good. But what he's really talking about is people that don't know the Lord. And they're thinking about somebody who's passed away and they don't have hope of ever seeing them again. They don't have hope of ever rekindling that relationship And he says, that's a bad thing. People that don't have hope, what don't they know? They don't know that the people that are asleep, if they knew God, they're with him. They're in a fantastic place. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if, that's a separation, you can know it and you cannot know it and believe it. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which... Sleep in Jesus. That means those who were Christian and died, they are sleeping in Jesus. That's a New Testament way to say a Christian who passed away. They are asleep in Jesus. Will God bring with him? Now what I wanted you to get out of verse 14 is there are two sets of people here. Even so, them also. Let's keep this idea. There's two groups of people. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. That means that when he gets here or when he steps out of heaven, there's still a lot of Christians who haven't passed away yet. They're on the earth. This verse starts out by talking about them. He says, those of us that are alive, that, are, that remain here, When Jesus steps out of heaven, 
we shall not prevent them which are asleep. That means we're not going to go before them which are asleep, the ones who are passed away. So what's the two groups? He's talking about Christians who are in the grave, those that are asleep, and Christians who are alive and remain. So this is what he's talking about now. Two groups of people, two groups of <coughs> believers, some that are already alive, we're talking, and the Lord may come, and those who have passed away, and they are buried. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Boy, a lot in there. Jesus is going to step out of heaven. He's going to descend into the clouds. And this verse says there's going to be a, a big trumpet sound, the voice of an archangel. And when that happens, the two groups that we talked about, those that are buried in Christ, those who are still living that are Christian, it said the first ones that are going are the, the dead. Now, all this may happen just boom, real quick. But he's at least describing here a certain chain of events. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, those that were in the grave, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Man, think what he's describing here. There's going to come a time, a big trumpet's going to blow in heaven. God's got this clock up there. and When it becomes time, that sucker's going to blow. Jesus is going to step into the clouds. The Bible says, we'll get to this in a little bit, that the earth is basically going to I don't want to use the word vomit, but it's going to throw out the people, Christians, that are in the grave. Basically, the graves are going to explode. They're going to come out. They are going to meet Jesus in the air. And we, who are alive and remain, the ones that are still with us, are still alive, are going to follow right behind them, and we're going to meet Jesus in the air. Now, all of that to say this. What's that all a picture of? It's a picture of God getting his people out of the way. When Jesus said in days of Noah, he started all of this by saying it's going to be like it was in Noah's day, where God got the righteous family where? Not just under an umbrella, where the water would splash up when a car drove by. He put them in an ark and he sealed that sucker. He perfectly protected them. That, right, what happened immediately after that? The whole earth, the deeps broke up. Water came gushing up out of the ground. It came pouring down out of the sky. That was the wrath of God wiping clean sin. And before it happens at the end of time, God again gets his people. This is why we have to teach people there's a distinction. We are not all the children of God. Yes, God made us all. The Bible clearly teaches some people are the children of the devil. Even Jesus said that. He looked at Pharisees and he said, you are of your father, the devil. So we know this. There's a distinction, at least in God's eyes. There's children that are of the devil and there are children that are his. And These verses are describing that before the bad stuff happens, what does he do with his people? See, it's a principle everywhere in the Bible. Jesus used Noah to describe it, but he gets his people out of the way. He hides them. Now I'm going to stop right there for another 60 seconds. There's a lot of Christian teaching that doesn't like the idea of saying that some people get hidden or removed out of the way. They say, that's not really fair. <laughs> Why would God treat some people different than others? We should all have to go through this terrible mess, people. We are not all the same. According to God's eyes, he looks at people according to whether or not he has a relationship. And if he does, he does what he did to Noah. He says, Noah, it's time to get in that boat. He gives them advance warning. He gets them out of the way and he seals them so that the wrath can't touch them all the time. Think with me of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when 
fire came down out of heaven and consumed those cities. What did God do before the fire came down? Somebody's hand needs to go up. That's right. He sent angel into Sodom and Gomorrah to physically remove. Do you remember that story where Lot was diddly dallying? He was not moving. He wasn't packing. And the angel said, we have got to get you out of here. And this is what the Bible says that the angels told him. We can do nothing until we get you out of here. Think of that. There's a difference. There's a distinction. How God looks at people on the earth. Always been that way. I I hate that teaching, that, that implication that tells people that, hey, we're all, we're all just the same. But none of that means that you and I, any of us, think we're better than somebody. We all have the same DNA, pretty much. The idea is, with our faculties, we've read the word, we've heard it, and we've made a choice that the sacrifice that God did with his son, that, was, that love won us over. We accept it. Think if you don't accept it. That's why he's mad. God crucified his own son, and if they don't accept that, fire and brimstone, terrible things are coming, and God won't remove those people. Let's keep reading. Verse, let's read verse 17 again. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So he's removing both sets of people. I had this thought while preparing this. Wrath is about to come on the earth. And God removes the, the, the ones who are alive. But think of this. He doesn't even leave the bodies of his saints in the soil that he's about to pour wrath out on. That's why the graves open up. That's why they... <coughs> God removes every bit of what's his out of the way. He puts it somewhere safe before his wrath gets poured out. That's how... That's the way God thinks about his anger. You know, me as a, as a father, unfortunately my kids could come up here and tell you that dad, sometimes his temper boiled over, he got angry, he, he did something he shouldn't have to his kids. God's not like that. God's wrath never boils over to somebody who doesn't deserve it or to an area on the earth that hadn't basically asked for it. God is a great father. He removes the innocent, those who are his, out of the way. Next chapter, chapter 5. Look down at verse... Well, I, I do one... Yes, I do. At the end of verse, the second half of verse 3 in chapter 5, it paints a picture, and he's describing when this wrath is coming, this is what the Bible uses all the time. A woman in travail of childbirth. Have anybody ever, have you been in a delivery room? I think people should see this. It's remarkable to see what a woman's body does. They don't sit there and think, boy, I hope this now contracts. They have no control over it. When the time has come to be delivered of the child, their body takes over. And it starts pushing and pushing, and it's uncomfortable. But the whole thing is, Jesus in the Bible uses this picture of a woman in travail, birth pain. It's forcing it out, and there's really no control over it. I've never seen a woman just say, I don't want to do it today. We're going to stop and schedule it for next Thursday. Not when it started. You have no control over this. It's a timing mechanism. When the time is there and when it starts, even once it gets really started, you can't reverse it, you can't stop it, you can't go back. It's coming. doesn't matter if the doctor's there. doesn't matter if dad's the only one there. doesn't matter if that woman is alone by herself. It's coming. One of those things about watching, being prepared. And what is it about a woman who's going to give birth? The signs are there, aren't they? Signs are always there. Number one, calendars turned over about nine different times of the month. We know about when it's coming. People don't know the exact day. This is like the return of the Lord. We don't know the exact time, but 
It is like childbirth. You can see things developing. You can even, in that baby, or in the, on the mother's skin, you can see a little fist punching out a knee. You can see the signs of what is coming. You still don't know the exact hour. You still don't know the exact day. And you know what people do? They pack a bag. Keep it in their bedroom so that they are ready. They're prepared because you don't know when it's going to come. And a lot of times it does come like a thief in the night. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, there's a difference. This says, The sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. They. Now look at the next verse. But you. He's making a distinction. He painted a picture of some people who won't escape it. Verse 4 starts with, But you. That means there's a difference. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light. See how God made a distinction there? He described people that would not escape. He then puts the word but to turn and go in a different direction and Draw a picture, but some of you, you are children of the light, and it won't overtake you as it does the children of darkness. Now, I want to ask you a question. What if you just opened up your Bible and you turned to verse 5, and this is the only thing you read today? Ye are all children of the light. That's how many churches operate. Open that one verse up and they say, see, we're all God's children. Everybody here on earth is God's precious little darling. Well, in the sense that he loves them so much he sent Jesus to die for every single one of them, yes, you're right. But if you don't accept it, now we've got a distinction. God separates You can read that and say, see, we're all children of the light, but the previous two verses tell you that some people are not going to escape the destruction, but some are. Verse 6, Therefore, because of that, because there's a separation, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Everybody get ready for verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that ring bells? Verse 9 says, God has not appointed us. Who's the us? Previous three, four verses, he's talking about children of the light. People who are watching, people who are waiting, people who have in navy banners in yellow lettering that Jesus is coming again. Well, especially if they believe it, it helps. But he's saying, if you're children of the light, if you're watching, if this means something to you, if you're anticipating and you're packed up, ready to go, then God has not appointed you to wrath. Now that's a wonderful principle contained in the Bible, that God does not pour out his wrath on his kids. It's everywhere. Let's go to let, let's prove that just a little bit. Look, let's go to the Old Testament. Turn to Zephaniah. Yes, Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah, oh, that's an easy one to find, isn't it? If you find Zechariah, back up as Haggai, back up another one as Zephaniah. If you're at Joel, you need to go forward past Amos, past Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, chapter 2. Zephaniah, chapter 2. It is, it's a tough one. Even for preachers, that's a tough one to find. Page 1148, my Bible. Yes, Tina's turning right to it now. 
Zephaniah <laughs> chapter 2, and look at verse 3. Seek ye the Lord. What's that mean? If you seek for him, you are trying to find out what you can about God. You want to know what he likes, what he doesn't like. You want to know what he wants for your life. You look for him. You try to find him. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his... Who are those who have wrought his judgment? Well, number one, they're people that know his judgment. If you rot, if you bring forth on the earth his judgment, you, you're telling your family, your neighbor, uh, no, that's, God doesn't like that. You, shouldn't, you really shouldn't do that. God doesn't want that. He's describing his people here. Next sentence. Seek his righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Who is God going to hide in the day of his anger? This verse seems to tell us it's those who are seeking him, those who do his judgment, those who seek righteousness. That makes a guy want to live pure for God, doesn't it? See, that's a wonderful principle in the Bible. God designed it this way. He wants us to be searching for him. And when it comes time, he takes those people. They're different. They're separated. They're not the same. And it says, hide them in the day of his anger. There is a time when God gets very angry. Since we are here in this uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, look at chapter 3. In verse 8, Therefore wait you upon me, saith the Lord, until the day, this is a special time, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That, that kind of sounds like we're all just children of the Lord, doesn't it? No. God says he has a time, a day, where his fierce anger is coming. And he says, I'm gathering the nations. The Bible has a lot of different teaching and we're already past time. We're not going to go into that, but the nations that God pours these things out on have a, they're a special designation. But what I want, I brought you here to show you, he called this his fierce anger. When you read that in the Bible, God's indignation, his fierce anger and his wrath, you need to picture things like hailstones of fire, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what God's talking about, and there is a special day for that. Let's now go to Nahum, Go back in your Bible just a couple pages is the very small book of Nahum, chapter 1. Didn't know all this stuff was tucked back in here. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2. I'll bet this is where it says, God just made us all the same. He did make us all the same, but we have choices. People that choose wrong get the consequences of that. Look at this. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth, and is fur- he's furious. I think it is extremely important to know this quality about God. Now, we don't stop reading here. God's not angry at you if you're his child. He's not angry at me if I'm inobedient. But God does have that side of him that when the time of repentance is past and somebody has not made the right choice, then yes, this side of God will be seen. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. Your Bible may say enemies. See, God has people that are on his side and he has people that are not. We do a terrible injustice if we teach people that sit in pews that we're all just the same in God's eyes. It's a lie. 
not helpful. It doesn't help us live right to even seek what is right. The idea is we're supposed to go looking for it. God, I want to do right. Show me. And you go searching in the Bible. You search in prayer. Look at the last sentence. He reserveth wrath for his enemies. doesn't get much clearer than that. God's terrible anger, his wrath, when he gets very upset and it boils over, that wrath is only designed for his enemies, not his kids. There's always a distinction. We, in every verse we've gone, we have not read two verses where this principle has not jumped out. That there's a difference between God's children and the children of disobedience. It's everywhere we've gone here. I want to, we, we've kind of beat that into the ground and, and we know that pretty good. Let's end with Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. And a few verses here put so much of this together. See, we've painted a picture of God removing his people. Remember in Thessalonians it said that there were dead people in the graves that were going to go first, and the people that were still alive, they were going to go right after them, and we're we're caught up in the heaven with the Lord. God removing his people out of the way before Wrath gets poured into the earth. Yeah, let's do that. All right, let's start reading in verse 17. Verse 16. Isaiah 26, verse 16 says, Lord in trouble. We're going to start talking. He is going to start painting a picture about people in trouble. Look at verse 17. Like as a... Woman with child that draweth near the time for her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs. So have we been in thy sight. Remember what we read in the New Testament? That the tribulation period, Jesus used this picture. Paul used this picture of a woman about ready to give birth. You can see that it's coming. You don't know when exactly when it's coming, but boy, it sure helps to be prepared, to be ready. I've been in the delivery room for seven of these kids. And you know what nurses and doctors do when they see it coming? And they are putting everything out. Scissors, hammers, syringes, things that you think, why is that out? And you ask them, it's because, well, we might have this problem. They're prepared. They don't know what's going to happen. Even though they see 50 of these a day, they don't exactly know what the heck is going to happen. Maybe... The rear end is going to come first and there's a problem. The thing may not breathe right away. They have all different types of tools and apparatus to jumpstart different parts of the body. They're prepared. Those people, are that's their job to be ready. Jesus, the Bible, always uses this picture. Birth pangs coming. So you know about when it's coming. And everybody starts sweating. Verse 19. When all those signs come, here's what happens. Thy dead men shall live. Wait a minute. What's that a picture of? Dead men living. That's right. It's a picture of a resurrection. That's a picture of what Thessalonians told us, that the graves are going to open up and these people are coming out. Now look at the next phrase. Thy dead men shall live, comma, together at the same time. Together with who? My dead body. Well, what, that, that sounds strange. People in the New Testament, what does it teach us that we are in relation to God? What does it as a group say about the Christians on the earth? Does Jesus not say, you are my body. Just, you know, he makes the Paul was then writing about, he says some, pe- some are like hands, some are like foot, feet, some are like elbows, some are like ears, eyes. The New Testament teaches us we are the body of Christ. This verse says that the dead men are going to live together with who? My dead body. You and I were, the New Testament teaches us we were crucified with him. We were baptized. We went 
into death with Jesus, even though I was not physically there. And the reason I, that God did that for me is so I don't have to go through it. Death does not have the hold on me because of what Jesus did. He paid that penalty. And when God put him on the cross, there was a part of you and there was a part of me that was on there also, if you accept him. So, when he says, Thy dead men die. God's dead are going to live and they're going to be together with my dead body. Shall they arise? They're all coming out and coming up. Next sentence. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. What's that a picture of, Ella? Dwelling in dust. Who dwells in dust? Who lives in soil? Not just night crawlers. Talking about people. Somebody who has been put in a casket, they've been buried, and they are in the dust. And this verse says about those people, wake up and sing. See, it's rejoicing time. They're coming out of the graves. You that dwell in the dust. So, so far, verse 19 is all about one word, resurrection. Dead coming out, the people who are still here and alive, and we're going where? Verse 20, come, what are the next two words? There's a distinction. This is like Jesus saying, two are going to be walking, one's going to be taken and one's left. It's like Jesus painting the picture of Noah. He went with his family in the ark, but the others did not. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hey, do you remember John chapter 14? Jesus told his disciples this. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. He was telling them, I'm going to prepare a place. Just like God had Noah prepare his place, when we are raptured up to heaven, before this wrath gets poured out on the earth, we're not just going to uh, be on the looking over the balcony of clouds. There's a special place that is prepared for us. That's what Jesus told us. And this verse, in order, paints that picture. After talking about a resurrection, what does he say? Come, my people, go into the rooms that have been prepared and do what? Shut thy doors behind thee. That's, is that not a picture of Noah? God is hiding his people. He's protecting them. Then what happens? Hide thyself as it were for a little moment until what happens? Until the indignation be overpassed. You're going to be so thankful you're in the special place that Jesus has prepared while the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. Isaiah 26 paints a perfect picture he says, there's a resurrection, two groups of people, those who have been who are dwelling in the dust, and the dead body that is still around, those two groups of people are going to heaven. They're going to go into a special place. The doors are going to be shut behind them. They're going to be protected while there is an indignation. That means somebody's angry, and there's some cleansing going on out here. But not for the people inside. Verse 21, For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. While God's people are safely in heaven, sealed in a place Jesus prepared for them, God's wrath, and this says the Lord comes out of his place, he cleanses the earth. He punishes even the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. That is a, an awfully neat picture right there in three or four verses where Isaiah paints it all. He says, going to be some people coming out of the graves 
they're going to a place that has been pre- <coughs> prepared for them, rooms. And they're going to be sealed in there while there is an indignation that is poured out on the earth. And it even tells us who? The Lord. The Lord is pouring this out. You can read all this in Revelation, but the other parts of the Bible, they put it together. After that, when the earth has been cleansed, then Jesus does come back to this earth forever. The Bible tells us he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, in Israel. And he reigns there. The Bible tells us that uh, his people are allowed to come and go in and out of the city. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus actually comes physically back to this earth. But before that happens, there is a cleansing on the earth. Something to learn throughout your entire Bible. God always removes his people out of the way, and he puts them in a very specially prepared, protected place before that indignation gets poured out. Noah was 80 to 100 years in preparing that ark. Jesus has had 2,000 years. That's going to be one special place. Preparing for us. It makes you not want to miss it. To be ready, to be prepared to go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for what is contained in your Bible. We pray, Lord, that each one of us would be strengthened and encouraged by what we hear, what you have protect, uh, prepared for us by the protections that you have set aside for your children. Lord, help us to, to live as we should and to get those around us to live as they should, to see that the woman in travail is close, that the time is nigh. And we pray, Lord, that we would all be found willing, we would be ready, that we may be hid in the time of indignation. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.